Hello, welcome to the Alpha Mind podcast. My name is Stephen Goldstein. My co-host is Mark Randall. And today we're going to be interviewing foreign exchange trader Mark Hutchinson. Mark Hutchinson has been trading for about 10 years. He's achieved some outstanding success in a very short period of time. He also runs a mentoring business called Falcon FX, which focuses on both the technical aspects of trading and the psychological aspects. They've got hundreds of subscribers from all over the world, young traders, new traders, people who have changed careers mid-career. And Mark has some really interesting perspectives on trader development. This is an outstanding interview. I guarantee you're really going to enjoy this. You're going to learn so much and you're going to be left, hopefully, with many questions. So please sit back and enjoy this episode of the Alpha Mind podcast. So it's a delight to welcome you, Mark, to this uh, podcast uh, for Alpha Mind. Very interested to hear about um, yourself and, and your journey with Falcon, uh, and perhaps to start off with understanding just who you are and, and what Falcon FX actually is. For sure. Well, firstly, guys, I uh, really appreciate you having me on the podcast. Really excited to share my experiences. So for the listeners, my name's Mark Hutchinson. I'm from the UK and I'm 28 years old. So I, I originally actually started to learn how to trade 10 years ago, 10 years ago now. So in 2008, pretty much, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll remember the financial crisis. And as you can imagine, it, it piqued my interest. And I saw a lot of things on the news, like, you know, Lehman Brothers, Northern Rock going under. And I knew quite a few people at the time trading back then. And they, they went short on quite a lot of the banking stocks and they made a bit of money. And this, this really made me keen because in my opinion, you know, I was very new to the market, so I didn't know too much, but I thought that you could only make money in the bull market. I didn't realize that you could profit from, you know, stocks dropping and things like that. So since then, I started a course. I, I was made redundant, actually, as an engineer when I first started off, and I had a certain amount of savings that I thought that, well, do you know what? I don't want to be in that position again where I'm being made redundant. I want to take, you know, destiny into my own hands. So I invested the savings that I had, pretty much 70% of it, into a course. And then went on to sort of various courses and, and I learned a lot of good things. And through my journey, I, I went through trial and error, trial and error. But being dyslexic, I found learning to trade and all these kind of things very, very difficult. But what I was really good at was spotting patterns. And I was always kind of a little bit stubborn within the market. So I tended to move towards, you know, trying to do my own thing. And I, at the time, I didn't know whether that was going to be good or not, but I was just I was so focused on testing new things and it took me about four and a half years to break through. Once I broke through to consistency, I then moved into trading investor capital. So it took me a very, very long time. And as you can imagine through all those years, you tend to second guess yourself and you think, you know, is it really for me, especially when you have outside influence from family and things like that. But I carried on persisting because I knew this was something I was really passionate about and I just had a love for the charts, right? I was passionate about the charts and any traders listening, they know exactly what I'm talking about. So moving towards that, I started trading investor capital. The uh, first part didn't go particularly well, if I'm completely honest. And that was due to a lot of limiting beliefs that I thought that I didn't have, that I thought I'd actually overcome at the time. Uh, so I had a bit of a rough patch going into the trading investor capital for, the, I'd say, the first seven weeks. I found it very difficult. And then I adjusted, you know, I adjusted just like we adapt. And I carried on moving forward. And then fast forward another couple of years, I then started teaching people on the side because I was, you know, being reached out to on a regular basis because I, I knew just some traders in, in industry and just from all over the place learning from different styles. And they would often ask me, you know, can you help me out with this? Can you help me out with a bit of psychology or this part of technical analysis? So I would always just naturally say, oh, these are a few processes and tips that helped me. I would then get an overwhelming response of this is help, this is transformed the way I look at the market. And to me, I'm thinking these things are quite obvious, you know, and not realizing that I've got my own unique style and I'm trading very differently to most retail traders. So that sparked my interest. And then I started doing it on a kind of weekly thing. And then I found the Falcon Project. It's something that I thought, you know what, if I'm going to impact people, I can't, can't impact people just on a one-to-one -one basis. I want to impact as many people as in the world. And I'm sure we'd all agree that there's such a overwhelming amount of people of 
people that are unsuccessful in trading. And that really sparked an interest in me to think, why is that? Is it all just because they don't have the right mindset? Or is there any technicals? Because this is something that not many people want to talk about. They only focus on the psychology, right? Because of course, psychology, we know is the biggest part, but they leave out that technical part and not realize that there is still more technical things you still need to be equipped with. You still need to understand what you're doing to a high level. So that can be congruent with that. And then, you know, it just spiraled out of control. We started seeing some crazy progression within our own community and that kept growing organically and organically. And here we are now over a thousand people all over the world and it's just growing and growing. So that's a bit of an intro to myself and I uh, hope that gives you listeners a bit of perspective. Now that, that, that was brilliant. Thank you, Mark. And um, you know what? So many questions came up for me in, in there. I'm going to round back to some of them. Um, mm -hmm. I've got a couple of questions I, I want to ask you that we've set up and you can bring these things into those questions or we can go back to them later. My standard question, which I which I ask a lot of people, is what three things that you now know that you wish you had known at the start of your training career or early in your training career? That's a good question. Uh, if if I was to think back to if I was to, there's a number of things, right? If I was to think of three things, three most important things. First one, I would say processes. Processes is always uh, something that I really knew nothing about. And I realized that I was so focused on, you know, making money, just like we all do in trading, right? And I was so focused on that, that I forgot about processes. And what I saw, if, if I was to think back now, what I really wish I knew that if I focused more on my processes, the outcome would be the outcome that I desired as a side effect of having a great process. So that's something I would say was number one. Number two would be, I would say number two. number two would be how to minimize the impact of money. And and this goes back to the, the question that you was going to bring up about limiting beliefs. Right. I had a limiting belief about money because I was, you know, I was born in a, in a council estate. I wasn't born into money or anything like that. So um, very sort of working class background, if you like. And people are only really making 30,000 pounds a year. So anyone doing more than that was a huge, huge thing. So when I first received my investment in the first six figure sum, I I felt uneasy. Even though I was excited, I was ready for it. What I was doing, I was, I was taking on the emotional weight of, of the big amount. So let's just for arguments, for an example, say take a hundred thousand pounds. If we look at a hundred thousand, we tend to magnify that if we're not comfortable with it in, in our minds a lot. So rather than me thinking, well, I only risk 1% per trade on my account. So I'm risking a thousand pound per trade. What I started to do is I started to think about the whole amount as this big thing of this 100,000, et cetera. And it, and it really made me feel uneasy. So the one thing that I wish I learned is to stop taking on the emotional weight of the, the big amount. And this is you know, a tip for traders growing and scaling their capital. And I found this to help so many people in the community is that rather than focus on that, focus on the amount you're actually risking. And what that does is it minimizes the impact emotionally in your mind, because whether we like it or not, we are attached to money to some degree. And I don't think to strive to be this kind of robot where there's no emotion whatsoever is ever a reality. There's always going to be some level of emotion within yeah. the market. So I wish, I really, really wish, guys, that I, I knew how to minimize that impact. And it, it took me a long time to realize how to do that. I would say a third thing would be forecasting. And this really links to the subconscious. So I find that, especially in the retail side of things, and I'm sure you've heard of this and seen this, that they're very reactionary they uh, a reactionary mindset they buy the highs they sell the lows these kind of things and they wait for the market to happen they wait for the news to happen and they wait for something to happen to then make a decision and what i learned over i would say it took me about to that three fourth year period where i started to realize that these are the really that probabilistic type mindset these are the possibilities these are the probabilities of us linking to patterns let's say for example of what they're going to play out and rather than letting the market happen to me i started thinking well back tested of 30 years of data these are the most likely scenarios to play out so what i would start to do is i would start to map those out in my mind and think well this is this is number one this is number two this is number three each one of those if any one of those play out i have an entry criteria i know how to manage my risk and i know how to trail my stop loss all those kind of things i know how to deal with every scenario so what i did is it made me hesitate less so rather than hesitating because 
what happens is traders, what they, they see the market, they see the entry criteria, they might have a particular strategy, and they will still hesitate. Why is that? Because they haven't planned out how they're going to manage it. They haven't planned out the scenarios of if it slightly changes, how they're going to deal with that. They kind of just, if that makes sense, if that candle-shaped formation arises, I'm going to put the entry on, and they feel uneasy. And that, to me, is, is not scalable, and it's unsustainable, because God forbid that person gets given more capital, then they're very, very unstable and more capital. So I would say, uh, just tracking back to that, so the first thing, of course, would be you know having great processes, and second would be how to minimize impact, and then the third thing would be forecasting. That made me very proactive within the markets. Yeah, very interesting. You talked um, slightly earlier, you, you, you said that your foundation was, was as an engineer. Yeah. Um, and I've certainly found an awful lot of people in the markets that have had an engineering type degree have become very good traders as opposed to those that have had a, a more of a, a pure mathematical sort of mindset. So I think that engineering does encompass some degree of creativity as well. I think the two things together do help drive um, a, a very different mindset, which I, I guess if you, you've sort of rediscovered that in a way over, over, over your journey by the sound of it, and I'd actually applying some of the principles that would have come from your earlier sort of training, and, and are starting to apply those processes into the market. And I think that's, that's great for you. I mean, well done on accessing that. Many people find it difficult to find their direction and quite understand how their sort of personality type and what they've learned historically fits into aligning themselves to a product or product range to trade. Interesting you say that, and I didn't actually think of it like that. I um, I I didn't really look into my engineering background to think that that would um, because I thought exactly what you just mentioned there. I thought that the more let's say mathematical that people would be, would let's say make them good traders. Again, I was very wrong when I started to realize that and, you know, teach a lot of people because I know some very, very highly intelligent people and they still struggle to be great traders. It's not that they don't understand the technicals or they don't understand uh, what's actually going on. Is the big issue that they come into is that they just fail to think in a probabilistic mindset. They, they don't understand that the market's not perfect. It's an imperfect market. So we need to understand that consistency comes from a series of random events, if you like, and they can't cope with that because they're so used to uh, this means this and this has to do this. And it's very mechanical in that sense. But I found yeah. that often doesn't really breed successful traders from what I've seen. That's fascinating. Can, can I jump in there? Because um, I, I've recognized the same pattern over the years. Um, and I, I've, I, I don't know how familiar you are with, with systems theory, um, but systems theory is the idea that you know, everything is a system, but there's there's basically two types of system. There's a closed system and an open system. And a closed system doesn't allow for outside forces to influence the mechanics of that system. So a clock is a closed system. Mm -hmm. A rocket is a closed system. And rocket science is really a mathematical science. Um, on the other hand, an engineering mindset is more for open systems where you're testing what happens when a system interacts with the environment. And you can never know the answers to that. You can have as many calculations as, as possible, but there's so many permutations that, that there's always a possibility of a black, a black swan yeah. type event. And, and I've noticed how so many of the successful traders that I've coached over the years have this mindset where they, they never think they know the answer which keeps them curious all the time. It keeps them asking questions, not thinking they know the answer. And there's a difference between seeing the market and feeling the market. And I think that people that are mathematically orientated tend to be very siloed, very inward thinkers, um, and often driven that, that they know best, you know, because they've got so many doctorates or whatever, uh, and rocket scientists per se, but actually, and we know that hedge funds themselves are starting to mix up the sort of people they have on board from being perhaps the mathematical, you know, rocket scientists to actually, you know, apart from the Isaac Newtons, having some Michelangelo's because you need that creativity because it's, you know, markets are so difficult that you need to look at the edges for opportunities. So 
and I think that fits in with, with with the engineering mindset, which ironically for yourself has sort of sort of become the sort of the silent driver to the way that you're beginning mm. to move. And that's a poker mindset as well. And I know some hedge funds have looked at hiring poker professionals, or at least mm. filtering them into the process because they they have that mindset. It comes into game theory as well, doesn't yeah. it? And all this sort of stuff. Well, there's something something that I would love to just jump in on there is actually yeah. um, something that we like to call the coin coin theory. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the coin theory. You may be, but essentially, uh, you may have heard this explanation before. But if we was to take a, a coin, for example, and it was weighted on the head side 70%, and we were to flip that coin 100 times, 100 flips, we would probably all back if we could choose that, you know, majority, more often than not, 70% of the time, there or thereabouts, it will be heads, right? And although that we know it works, we don't know the sequence. And what I found, just like you mentioned about poker players, they, under, they understand that, that it's a series of random events and you can still have a bad hand, if you like, and then still win, right? And it's the same with trading. When you understand that you have a formula, that that's your head, that's your, that's your let's say, uh, series of events, you don't know the sequence. I can't tell you from 100 flips that it's going to be heads 20 times first and then tails twice. And then what that does is it gets you comfortable with taking losses because you don't know the sequence. And then you don't take a loss as, oh, I was wrong. And you don't take a win as I was right. There is no right and wrong. This is, again, probabilities. Mm, very interesting. I think the, uh, the big casinos in Vegas uh, understand <laughs> p patterns of random <laughs> behavior. You know, you, I think they did an experiment once where you, you got somebody, to, a bunch of people to choose uh, randomly uh, red or black for the roulette table. Uh, and, and then they got the market supervision people in. And they mixed up like a hundred people's sort of ideas of random behavior, plus a couple of um, true behaviors that came off the roulette table. The market supervision people could see exactly which were the true random ones, because mm. randomness can sometimes be actually a bit more sequential than most people think. And we yes. try to alternate things, but actually in reality, you could have red, 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 black. And it, the tables were exactly. churning out that sort of pattern. So, yeah, and traders need to understand that, that sometimes you need to understand the fact that randomness can be sort of predictable at times. Yeah, there's another point, and I think you've already alluded to it slightly earlier, March, uh, Mark, that even though it's random, it still affects the way we feel. So mm -hmm. that example where you gave 70% of heads, you can still get five tails in a, in a row. Mm. And that can throw you out, even though you know it's random. And that's part of managing yourself as a trader. And I think that's a skill which a lot of people, a lot of people forget about. I wonder if you've got any experiences like that. Yeah, I, I, th I think the the most important thing there is that we do feel that right because it doesn't matter how good of a trader you are. You know, recently it was about two two and a half months ago I took four losses in a row, and I'm not used to that sequence because I would, you know, my strike rate pretty high, but you know, it's never going to be 100%, but there's a high strike rate. But taking four in a row, I would take four losses in a month, you know, it's normal, right? But taking four in a row, I was never used to that sequence. And that threw me off. It really did. It made me hesitate for the next trade. And I thought, pull yourself together. What are you doing? You know, you're trading investor capital. What's going on here? And it's because I wasn't used to that. And I think that it, I think we need to realize as traders, it doesn't matter how good you are, there will come a time where things can throw you off and we do feel a certain way. But what I did that helped me to kind of pull me back on track straight away is to realize I started cross-referencing those trades because everything I do is subconscious because I've been doing it for so long now and I've got a trading plan that I follow and it's very strict. Now, I would look at that and I thought, let me go and cross-reference those trades to the four losses. And I want to see, if, did, I, did I mess up here? Because I'm a human, you can make human error. Did I do something wrong? And I looked at it and I followed the plan as normal. And I realized that was just a sequence and then it made me feel fine again. So yeah, that would, I would say that would be my experience personally. And I've seen a lot of people do that. And what I always say to a lot of traders in the Falcon community is that whenever you have these sequences, what you'll find is more often than not, the people that tend to have these losses and they feel uneasy or they second guess themselves, is that they weren't sticking to any kind of plan whatsoever. They were just, you know, feeling what they thought was good. And then they'll go back and look at it and say, well, I actually only stuck to my plan 50% of the time that month. 
well, no wonder you're not getting any performance or achieving yeah. anything because yeah. Yeah. you're not sticking to your plan. You know, you have to have something practical to go reference. Yeah, they're undermining your set themselves. I mean, it's, mm. it's interesting because my trading style was very, when I was a trader, I'm going back, you know, mm. at least 10 years now, but my trading style was, was that way around in that I, I had a very low strike rate. Um, I think on average it was about 30%. But in my in my in my in my final year of trading or my final full year, which was actually my best ever year, my strike rate was ten percent. In other words, ten percent of all the trades I put on that year were winners. And yet, the, <laughs> I'm gonna be honest here, right? It was I think I, I took thirty trades that year. Um, mm. That you know th these were sort of quite big trades. Three of them made money. Okay, two of them made really big money. And the important mm. thing with me on my method and my approach was about when you get those trades in, then to get the size on as they average in and they start mm. moving in a trend mm. and then really running. So I would make a lot more on the big trades than the small trades. Now, the big mm. problem was that two of those came in May and one came in November. <laughs> so me mentally, that was, <laughs> that was really challenging. I was a lot of money down for the year going it's a long summer May. it's a long summer yeah and then well no then I, I i sort of had a huge trade in may yeah but you know you really it was really managing yourself and reminding myself that this is my method this is my process it works for me on every year trades don't come along on routine that they're, they're random in a sense you know yeah. that i always used to think they're like buses you know you you can wait hours and hours for a bus and then suddenly three or four come along at once that's what we used to say on the old london transport <clears throat> timetables and you had to condition your mindset to think like that and, and to walk away too and to yeah. walk away when actually it's time to just take a pause and step away rather than to trade for the sake of it which can also lead to yeah, significant that, that's a question i would that's a question i would love to uh, jump in and, and, throw, and throw you away actually uh, okay. for, for, tra for traders that have had that kind of um you know, let's say where they've been in that experience where they're, they're not doing well, for example, where they're maybe second guessing themselves and they've had a bad period. Uh, would you advise that have you or have you seen benefit of traders maybe taking a break, maybe stepping away? And I mean, only for like a couple of days or taking a step back, because I often feel like traders that I speak to, they feel like even when it's going through a bad, they feel guilty for having a day off from the charts. I wonder, would that be the same in more your your side of trading? I, I advise traders a lot, and, and I spoke about this in one of our previous podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, there's a guy I coached who, who is, is probably the best trader that I think I've ever coached. He works, he works for a hedge fund in, in Asia. He used to work for, um, for a US investment bank when I was coaching him. And he was also a big poker player, and I've spoken about this guy a lot. You may find he sneaks into nearly every podcast at some point. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> He, he was just such a phenomenal individual and he was a world 200 poker champion um, as well, whilst being amazingly enough a bank market maker. And he said to me that when I'm at the table playing poker, I am no better than anyone else. Everyone at that table knows the probability of the hands. They have a winning, successful style that works for them. He said, what I do better than any of them is I walk away better from the table. That's what he believes his edge is. Okay, it's something I call closure. So, for example, if we go back to that randomness, um, the cards in poker are dealt randomly. Okay, so you can sit there for two hours and just have bad hands. It doesn't matter whether you're the best player in the world, you can have a run of really lousy cards. And he would get to the point where, you know, his pot size is dwindling, you know, bit by bit by bit. And he's going to get to a point in a game where that effect will start impacting the way he plays the game. It will start putting on hands that he shouldn't and playing winning hands badly. And he knows that he needs to remove himself from the situation when that happens. So he will find a way to extricate himself from the game, which isn't easy mm. because the other competitors are... When you're losing, they want you there. <laughs> you, yeah. you know how it is. You know, they want yeah, you to stay course. there because they see your pile is moving their way. But he will 
he had no shame. He said, I have no shame in walking away from the table. Okay, he didn't feel it as shame, but that was his edge. And I've, I've seen this with traders over the years I worked with. I'll tell another story of a, a, a big oil trader that I worked with that got into a huge drawdown. And in fact, I'm pretty much sure I talked about this in the previous podcast. This happens with so much regularity. Then this comes to managing yourself. There are periods where you need to take yourself away from the action. It's what I call closure of, of, of a bad cycle that you've got into that the market has taken you into. Yeah, I mean, from the work I do around this sort of trader mind fitness side, I mean, the idea of, of uh, reset, refresh, refocus, be it intraday, be it intra-week, be it intra-month or whatever, the concepts of it to manage yourself appropriately throughout changing market conditions where the market suddenly becomes perhaps too much for you, too much for you. You suddenly think, hang on, I'm seeing so much, but I'm seeing and feeling so little in terms of opportunity. Then having that sort of commitment that part of the process is managing yourself and to, to actually have it as quite natural that you step away to reset, refresh and refocus, because it then allows you to see the opportunity more clearly because they're Whilst you may not, whilst you may be looking at the market thinking there's no opportunity there for me and getting frustrated by that, the more frustration you get, the less you will see. So to reset, refresh and refocus gets you back into that mindset where you look at the market through a different lens, where you could actually see the opportunity that's been staring you in the face, but actually you've not been seeing it. Yes. Yes. And we're, we're all human. So, you know, I think Mark says we're the most powerful tool in our in our most our, powerful piece of technology. Most powerful, we are the most powerful piece of technology in our toolbox, but that needs to be managed because the downside to that is that we don't work like a computer in a straight line. No. You know, we have yeah. pieces, times where we're optimum and times where we're suboptimal. You know, it, and it do, do, you think it's about, do you think it's about being comfortable with that, being comfortable with yeah. that it's not always going to be a, just a straight path and, and yeah. people that are on uh, upcoming don't think that that's true. They look up to successful people and think that they just went through kind of this straight line well, that to understand successful it, yeah. people always feel happy because <laughs> that's not uh, the truth. No, no, no. So I think from a trading perspective, it's going to be a series of ups and downs. And, and do you know what? We see this in the financial press, and I, I think a lot of financial journalists don't get it. So if a really successful trader in a fund, and they're the, they're the guys who get all the attention, have a losing year, they will be criticised in the financial press and some investors will pull their money. But, you know, these guys, you know, you have to look at their multi-year record mm -hmm. and you have to recognise that they, they cannot, you know, they cannot be performing at extraordinary levels every single year. And, you know, you'll see something like, has Dalio lost it or has Buffett lost it if they have mm -hmm. one bad year? But they may have not lost as much as everybody else. You know, yeah, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, yeah. it's a question of, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's management, right? Making the best out of what's there, which is the best to make money. But there's also a case of, well, you're going to come through some lock, through some uh, shocks in the market where you will lose, where you will I, lose money, but lose money in a way that suits you rather than suits somebody else. It's, it's having the right mindset. You know, when I traded, there would be periods where, you know, like you said, you can have every pattern and every setup and every bit of data talking about the market going one way and your call can be wrong. OK, and mm. for me, good trading isn't just making money. It's also keeping your losses small when you call the market wrong. Yeah. And some of my best days over my years were days where, where I got the market completely wrong came in with completely the wrong position and then walked out with a very small loss or even no loss. Got out and moved on. And moved yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And that for me was a really successful day. And that's what so many people just think trading is about making money. It's not. It's about doing the processes, as you mentioned, right of mm. following them and staying with them. Because if you do that right and you develop the good habits, over time, those habits will compound and you will do more and more right. Yeah.
And in the early years, and I think this is something we could come back to you, Mark, because I know you work with a lot of early year traders. Yeah. It's more about getting the processes right and the mindset right and developing good habits than it is about earning an income. Yeah. And I, 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 really, I completely, completely agree. Yeah. And I, but I really want to put that to you because that's your area of speciality. You know, I know Falcon FX works with a lot of um, young traders who are getting into this business. And, and that can lead on to a question I'm going to ask you, actually. Maybe you can ask that part then. And then perhaps, um, you know, sort of give us an answer. What are some of the things you notice about new traders? Um, this question is in many parts, but we were going to ask you, do you, when you meet some of them or get talking to some of them, do you get a sense of the guys who are probably going to succeed and probably going to do well just from when you start talking to them? Yes, within probably about a minute. And it, it usually comes from the questions that they ask. It's normally the type of questions they ask. So the, the, the successful guys and girls that I see that, you know, kind of move forward and, and progress very quickly is that they often ask me about processes straight away. They ask me, what's a good way to process? They never talk about, they never ever ask the question. So it'd be good to actually uh, beg the question that they don't ask. They never ask, how long is this going to take me? And I often find that as, as the people that ask me that question, how long is this going to take me? What's the likelihood of, you know, after a year, they want to get a ballpark of when they think they're going to be successful. So they kind of go in with the wrong mindset straight away. So I find talking to people that ask really great questions about processes, they're, they're long-term thinkers. And I find this, the person that wants to come in with the idea that they say, well, look, they say, Mark, I don't care whether this takes me three years, five years, seven years, I want to figure this out because I'm serious about this longer term. Those are the ones that actually usually make it happen in a couple of years and they actually get successful. It's those that set the kind of the deadline, if you like, the ones that I find that are not successful, they set deadlines. They say, you know, by uh, December 2019, I'm going to be consistently profitable and I'm going to take on my first investment. And they force that upon themselves within, let's say, a six month period. But the market doesn't understand six months. You might not be ready. You might not be emotionally mature for six months. And they force that and then they label themselves as a failure, which isn't true, within that six month period. So I find the successful people that I speak to, they they measure their progression. They don't think they know it all. They're forever a student. And I, and I feel the same way. I'm still learning and developing. And they see it as, well, rather than setting these deadlines, how about I actually measure my progression and say in six months, I'm going to focus to the best of my ability on these processes. And I'm going to make refinement 1% tweak after 1% tweak. And I'm going to assess where I am. And I'm going to look back and see, oh, I've made a lot of growth. Where am I at now? And how can I move forward for the next three months? six months and one year. So that's what I've personally found from speaking to a lot of successful people that do well. Okay, that's brilliant. And I think I found one of the snapshots for uh, the publicizing this podcast within that answer. Because that, that, was, that, that was such a great answer. And there was so much richness in there. I think we could almost have a single one hour conversation about that answer. Another podcast. <laughs> for um, another time. Yeah. I mean, what's... Um, coming up for me as a sort of a question I think one, one Steve and I sort of spoke about before and I think perhaps you had was, was this idea of just just the model of approach that you take regarding you know new traders or, or people that actually perhaps are not traders that are coming to, into your world to understand and, and face this thing called the market um, and if, if you're happy to just to sort of share the sort of the method that you're you're, you're sort of instructing them in terms of you know, looking at the marketplace and trying to work out, you know, what's going to go on next and where, where the opportunities are. Would you like to just go into a bit more detail about just, just, just how you would treat sort of a new entrant, as it were, to take an opportunity out yeah. of the market? Yeah, for sure. Well, it's, it's really important, at, you know, when you're, you're just entering the market, especially the way that we look at the market. So I have two types of people. I have people that have been trading for a while and they have a lot of habits to unlearn. And I have the, the fresh blood, as we, as we like to call them. So the fresh that come in that don't really understand what's going on. They don't know whether they should focus on money. They don't know if they should set monetary goals, percentage goals. And I kind of just have a level playing field and say, look, forget about setting, setting any percentage goal whatsoever, because your, your percentage will be a side effect of great processes like I've highlighted before. And 
as we go to spot opportunities, we focus mainly technical. So we're not very macro driven. We don't really focus on the fundamental side. We have a, a slightly different view on news and things like that. Essentially, there's a quote that I often say, which is news creates volatility, not direction. So what I mean by that is that the, the, fundamental picture, the fundamental picture may already be decided, right? Whether that's driven by a macro um, for a dollar ball, whatever it may be. But what I will say is that when the news comes out, let's say there's always news coming out of CPI, all this kind of stuff, that that just creates, or a rate announcement, that just creates volatility. And that volatility will not alter the direction. The direction's already been decided. And what we use is we use patterns that repeat themselves and they have a probable percentage of playing out, which gives us our edge over time. Now we drill down from the, you know, the higher time frame all the way down to the lower time frames, starting off with the monthly all the way to the 15 minute chart. And that's where we really dive into those opportunities. So I, I really encourage people to think about, don't worry about what everything else is doing. Focus on just a small set of things like these patterns that repeat themselves understand the concept of the probable and the possible. So what I mean by that is that if we're looking at, let's say, a pattern, for example, more technical based, we will see, well, this pattern is likely to achieve, let's say, a third touch, right? Now, we know that, there's, that the pattern doesn't always complete. It doesn't always have to have a third touch. And is there anything within that pattern that we've figured out that has a high enough criteria that satisfies the criteria of rules that still gives us an edge? And if there is, well, we can see that as the possible outcome because to wait for the probable always would be to wait for perfection and the market's not perfect. So yeah, I so would really push them into that. Yeah. You're, sort of, you're almost sort of pre-trading the event based upon previous activity historically to, to, to essentially access the trade almost before one would normally expect it to break out, for example, because you're, you, you're reliant upon a pattern that's proved reliable in the past or, or a, or um, not so much a pattern, but a, be a market behavior that's always been reliable in the past. Yes, yes, and that's something that we you know, back test. We've got lots and lots of years of data, but I think the key thing there is that patterns can evolve. Patterns mm. can look like a pattern right now, and then it can develop into something else. So it's more so, uh, I think what people do where they, they struggle with chart patterns is they look at it in isolation and say, this is an ascending channel. Mm -hmm. And this is how it reacts. But the truth is you have to look at it in a, in a much bigger picture and what it can evolve into and have a management tool in place to be able to deal with each scenario. So we won't manage a position exactly the same way each time, depending on where it is in the structure, what cycle it's in, it's in the impulsive phase or the corrective phase. So right now we've been in a very corrective period and that's tried and true in patterns that we see repeat themselves and eventually they break out. Right. And we're seeing it in the DXY at the moment, which Stephen, me and you had a chat about at the conference about the people that kind of live in denial, that they kind of force themselves upon that there's going to be a dollar bull run. And what they do is they get blindsided when something changes. They don't take a message from the market and they think that the, the bull run may happen. Right. I'm not disputing that. But when it will happen, that remains to be seen. And a lot can change before that. So I really push to the newer guys is that try not to force what you think happen and just be prepared that you can never be a hundred percent on what's going to happen and don't let your ego get involved where you almost get offended if you feel like you're wrong and focus on the fact that you could have the highest criteria set up to the t your gift from god type trade that you believe and you have to accept that that still might not play out because it's a probability game not an absolute game and, and again you, you've you've raised the point there about which we kind of went back we, we, we discussed a little bit earlier in a different way of how the market changes you and then you force yourself onto the market mm. and the idea there is of ego of you getting a perfect setup the market not doing what you expected and then you taking it personally and seeing it as a failure which is where you go into and i know you want to ask me a question about this uh, fixed mindset mm. so the growth mindset is to actually look at everything and and not not blame yourself not you know sort of mm. try and learn from it and try and accept that things happen that are outside your control and it's not it's not a failing on your part it's just how it is it's part of the environment but if you see it as a failure and take it personally your ego steps in and then takes control of the uh, control of the levers and when that happens it's never pretty and you know in my trading career you know, which was over 20 years, 
you know that happened a few times you know and even when I was very experienced and it's it, it creeps up on you it doesn't happen in an obvious way and when it happens it's always uh, an, an ugly there's an ugly outcome whether it's a failure to monetize a great opportunity or whether it's a bad loss and, and when we go yeah. back to when you talked about walking away that is why you have to learn to walk away you have to learn to remove yourself it's about self-management as well mm -hmm. and and you know i think you've kind of you hit the nail on the head there mark <clears throat> with that one yeah, it's a learn to love losses as they say yeah <laughs> so, um, they're going if they've happened and you got upset about it give you a clue they're going to happen again um so just uh take take it into your mindset that part of this journey will involve some losses it will involve some wins you just got to make sure that you know your stop loss doesn't turn into a double up which is so yeah. much the the biggest disaster you can do stick into a plan if that's your stop level get out i'll go back to the three r's of you know reset refocus refresh and go back to the market and look for the next opportunity and when you said learn to love your losses that was a mantra I gave myself in the later stages of my career, early stage of my career, okay, I never had that mantra, and I would look on losses personally. And early, like early on, I said that in that final year, I had a 10% win rate. Part of my mantra, which got me through that, was a mantra of learning to love losses. There you go. Because I should have met you earlier. I knew if I could keep having these losses and keep taking them, and in my mind, have the idea that I need these losses to get the big wins. If I don't have them, my process won't happen. I won't stick to it. And I won't have the big wins, the buses when they well, come listen, along. But if you don't have losses, you won't learn. It's a game right? of risk. And you've got it's to risk. learn. Called risk for a reason. You've got to learn. <laughs> you've got to learn. Uh, you know, pro progress. And there's nothing you know, wrong with you. If, if Tiger, Tiger were Tiger Ones, Tiger Woods never <laughs> lost, it'd never win. You know, you know, you, you need to to lose to learn to get better to optimize yourself in whatever high performance thing you're in, right? So this is high performance. Look at trading; it's high performance. They want to see it as gaming; it's gaming, but it's high performance. And so you've yeah. got to take these knocks. You've got to learn from the knocks because they will make you perform better. If you just moan and groan about how useless one is because you're losing, losing, losing. Effect. You're not it's yeah, blaming something else. It's my machine. It's the latency of me putting a trading. It's my pattern recognition is not as good as it should be. Move on. Mm. Move on. That ability to let go and move on, just so significant in trading. Yeah, it's still so hard for people to do because they feel that they need the, they yeah. feel the need to want yeah. to be in the market. But yeah. but first That's and foremost, difference. capital preservation has to be key. That's, that should be the, the the first part of your goal, protecting your capital, because you need to take it serious like a business. And most right. people, they, they they say, yeah, I'm going to treat it like a business, but they don't. They don't have no, they don't they don't track their performance. They don't look at their mistakes. They don't even see if they stick to their plan or they don't have a trading plan. They haven't back tested. You know, they don't take it serious like a business. And I think that's something that I would love to see more of even the retail side do. And I would see more educational providers actually yeah. preach that rather than kind of spoon feeding people and creating re reliant traders rather than independent traders at falcon i'm big on creating independent traders that's why yeah. when i go with my analysis on a weekly basis and i'm doing my forecast forecasts i don't say to people you know you should have exactly the same watch list as me normally they're going to have their or thereabouts but some people are going to have different currency pairs that they're looking at some different currency pairs that they you know they know the feel of it more they know the move of it more and they focus on that and sometimes they ask oh how comes you don't have you know the euro over the canadian dollar this week and i say that if i've done anything wrong so you haven't done anything wrong at all that's good you're being more independent so falcon is all about how do we and what i love about trading is that it holds you accountable to the highest degree because what i've personally found for a lot of successful traders one discipline affects another so if you're not focusing on other areas of your life and you're not growing as an individual that then as a side effect affects your trading. So for me, what I love about trading, which keeps me passionate and focused is not just the monetary part of it. It's more so the fact that I know I have to be sharp. I know that I have to be focusing on all areas of my life and grow and expand as a person. Otherwise, my results will probably suffer. And that keeps me accountable to myself. And that's the part that I love the most.
Yeah, and I suppose that's, that, that's also the difference between a professional trader and a retail trader. Yeah, a professional mm. trader is going to be diligent, is going to be you know managing risk appropriately, is going to understand what he's trading and why he's trading it. You know the concept of fair value, because if you start to lose touch with that as a professional trader, how do you trade? How do you trade? Um, they tend to be very creative at the professional level, more creative than perhaps true retail that tend to maybe just choosing one product. And so opportunities may may be in areas that you're not familiar with. But if you dip into the unfamiliar, make sure you learn about the unfamiliar. Can I cut in there a second? Can I cut in there a second? Because I know in, in preparation for this podcast, you asked that question to us. What is the difference between a professional trader and a retail trader, in our opinion? And yes, it was really interesting because myself and Mark, sorry, sorry you were about to say something. Uh, yes, yeah, well, I was saying I would love to know that. I'd love to know your thoughts on that. Okay, because me and Mark discussed that before this call, and we, we both had a slightly different opinion. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the natural, um, the, the obvious answer is that a professional trader gets paid to do the job. They've got a big safety net, and there's lots of other factors they're normally doing in, it, in an institution. But actually, when I hear you talk, um, and I know some of the private traders, or, or I, I tend to call them private traders, but the retail trader is another phrase for it. Some of the retail traders, the private traders I know, are far better than some of the institutional traders True. and professional <laughs> traders I know. Yeah. And, and some <laughs> of them, you know, there's some guys I know who've actually, they're sitting on a desk at a hedge fund, but they've never really run much risk before. They've come through from an analytical role. Yeah. You know, which I'm actually quite critical of the hedge funds for doing that, because being an analyst is not really a qualification for being a, a manager of risk. Mm -hmm. I, you know, no, I, I think, I, I, whereas professional traders, you know, they eat what they kill. That's a phrase I love to use, you know, mm. and that creates a very different mindset. So, so actually, there's, you know, and I, I know a few professional traders. I've met some over the last few months and a couple of years actually from social media. And I think they are actually much higher quality than some of the pros, some of the people who get paid to take risk. Yeah, we, we agreed on that. Yeah. The, the, and, and, and then there's a slightly different side of it as well, in that some of them are in market making roles, which also requires a different mindset as well to being um, a buy side trader or a Propriety trader, you know, I worked in banks, but if I'm honest, I, I always used to think I sucked as a market maker. Mm. It wasn't something I was good at. I always preferred taking proprietary risk. Um, and the guys I knew who were great market makers, they were brilliant at optimizing flow. But I know some of them have tried to move into buy side and professional and retail roles, and they've really struggled. And that's partly because of the, the habits that they've developed are the wrong habits for being a proprietary trader. Yeah. And I think you alluded to that earlier, Mark, where you say you have people who... And that's really, really important because the professional side of the business has that, yes. quite naturally. Yes. You know, the broker, mm -hmm. the chat, the, 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 the research guys, everything. If you're doing it on your own, you are everything. You are head of compliance, you're head of back office, you're head of, head of you know, what went wrong yesterday and how do I fix that? As well as you know, managing wife, kids and everything else. Um, so my message to the retail size is don't forget about you in this equation. And that's and, and there are two polar opposites there in terms of in the professional side, it's easier to be managing yourself because there's the structures to support you. Mm. On the retail side, unless you're bothered to do that, it doesn't really exist. And I'm going to throw that over to you, Mark, if you could answer Mark's Yes, I, I, you, you raised some interesting points, both of you, and, and I think uh, the point that I'd love to talk about there, what you said, the loneliness kills, and it, and it does. And I think this is the most important thing that people need to understand. There's only a certain type of personality that can be on the retail side, like you say, that can literally stare at the screen on their own, manage their back office, do all of that, and still succeed. Now, I find myself, you know, without blowing my own trumpet, one of those individuals that I was able to do that for a period of time until I then felt very, very lonely, because I think you need to be comfortable with your own company. And I got, I got to that point where I was very content with myself, you know, 
I, uh, I felt confident within myself. I was able to, I started other businesses before and things like that. And I was just, I was a confident person. But then it got to a point where I felt so lonely that what I used to do is my, my brother's a property developer and he had, he had an office, a business office, and you could have 24 hour access. So when I was trading, especially when I was trading my investor capital in the early stages, I used to have such a bad routine of timing because I could do what I want, when I want, where I want, that I would go to the office really late and I'd be the only one there because it's, you know, after hours. And I would stay up so late to the Asian session and I would end up trading the Asian session for no reason, just because I was there. And it, it got to a point where I felt so lonely and thought this is, this can't be sustainable. I'm not, I'm looking at, you know, they had one of those communal areas where they had like vending machines and things. And I'd kind of just take a wander through the corridor and I'd be staring at the vending machine thinking, is this, is this what my life is like now? You know, I may be making money. I may be trading better capital. I may have my freedom, but I actually feel more lonely than ever which made me want to start the Falcon project. And I think that what we've done here at Falcon is not just, you know, create this, oh, here's the strategy, uh, go and crack on with it and just, you know, give it a crack and see how you get on. We hold people accountable and we don't keep people, we don't keep people in the community that don't have the right mindset. We tell them to go work on themselves because we won't allow that to tarnish the community that we have with so many like-minded people, which is why we do things like conferences, which again, really appreciate you attending the conference, Steve, and so many people took, so much value from your talks that you gave and having events like that where people can actually have that banter that you say you know kind of socialize have people to meet up we have meetups that happen on a regular basis each month where they can kind of say look this is the progression that i made how did you get on did you have any lessons that you learned this month and we're all a collective together as a community and we focus on those so you know we can put people in line and, what, and one thing that i've made from day one is that to make sure that if someone has a question, they don't feel intimidated. There's no egos, big egos here in our community. It's more about if you have a question, good, we're going to reach out to you. And people would say they're always pleasantly surprised and say, I cannot believe this is the first community that I've come into where I feel like I can just be myself. I can tell people my struggles. I can tell people what's actually going on. I can ask a question and I know I'm going to get a reply. So I would say I, I completely agree with that side of it. That's something that people really have to be careful of. I know it's nice to want to feel like, yeah, go out and do it on your own. But Having a like-minded community of that support network from sustainability, I think, is the key word. You may yeah. be able to do it for a couple of years on your own, but talk to me in 20, 30 years unless you've gone insane. And I, and I mean that, you know, as a, as a real warning. You have to have like-minded people around you to keep you in check. I think you've got to keep, you've got to invest in that. And I think people forget yes. that if you invest in that time, physical effort and money, it will pay itself back many times over. And people don't think about that. They often think of it as a cost. You have to think mm. of those investing in that. So it's so important what you said. Um, I, I just want to come up to something you said about that conference, because, yeah, I, I, I spoke at your conference. And ju just for the audience who are listening, uh, Falcon FX put on a fantastic conference in London on the 24th floor of the Shard, which is a beautiful building in the centre of London. It's Europe's tallest building. Um, I, I was hugely impressed by the conference. I was hugely impressed by the atmosphere there, the camaraderie amongst the people. I met some amazing people that really surprised me. You know, there was one individual I met who works on an oil rig in the North Sea, and he comes back mm. and he trades when he's back from that. I met yeah, uh, Gordon, a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a young German student, um, a, a young girl who, who asked me what books I recommended and uh, um, I've got a feeling she could be a very successful trader one day. She's only just started. And she's one of those people that ask questions. And, and funnily enough, I, I, I tend to believe in books about mindset. And every book I, I mentioned, she was either reading or had read, which I was really impressed about. And then I gave a talk, a, a seminar talk, where it was a, it was a q and I just asked the audience uh, to ask questions about me. And there were some brilliant questions. I wanted to ask you one question, which one young trader at the front asked me, which which I thought was a brilliant question. Um, and it's how does a trader make himself bulletproof? Now, I love that question because I've heard it so many times in different forms over the years. And I'd love to hear your answer to that question, almost as a kind of wrap up to this this hour, this conversation. I, th I think that's a, a perfect way to actually wrap that up, because I think that firstly, if we approach bulletproof in the markets, uh, I think that being bulletproof in the markets is can be something of a, a hard thing to achieve because it's 
the market's imperfect and to start to strive for perfection if we were to say that put the same line of bulletproof and perfection together we'd further be disappointed because we would feel like i'm not perfect rather than actually focusing on the progression that we've made but if we were to focus more on the bulletproof mindset which i believe is something more attain obtainable is that it can take years. It can take sometimes years of programming, refining, developing, and you have to learn to cope with different situations in life. And I would say, personally, over the last eight to nine years, I've been using things like a goal setting. And a thing that I'm really, really big on is understanding the subconscious brain, right? I think we can both agree that a majority of the things that we do is subconscious. Yeah. And affirmations, affirmations, some people love them, some people don't do them, some people don't believe in them. I, it's been a big pillar of my life to affirmate my way towards success and really affirm what I'm thinking because I'm so particular with language, right? We have on it, they say the average human has something like 75,000 thoughts per day and 90, you know, 91% of those thoughts will be exactly the same tomorrow. So I always beg the question that if you're going to make yourself bulletproof and you're going to work on that bulletproof mindset, then you need to have things that are practical to be able to move towards that. And managing that inner dialogue, and I use the word manage, not control, for a reason, that the, the word to control I don't think is obtainable because we can't fully control everything, but we can manage because sometimes things, they, they are what they are, is what it is, just the same with the markets. But if we can learn to manage our mind and we can focus on practical things like, let's say, affirmation, it might work for somebody, then you can keep yourself in check. And I think it's about just setting you know, daily goals, ticking them off, checking in with yourself, measuring your progression. and that bulletproof mindset will just get stronger and stronger as a side effect of, again, having just great processes. OK, so, I, I mean, that's a brilliant answer. Uh, we've only got a couple of minutes left, so I'm conscious of the time. But I'm going to hand over to Mark because you, you moved very much into his space. Um, just to explain to the audience, Mark Randall uh, worked as a broker in the futures and options markets in London for over 30 years. He used to run NatWest RBS futures. Sales. Sales. <laughs> OK, and, um, you know, he's developed himself as an expert in the area of mindfulness. Um, he used it himself to, to optimise his performance when he was in his working role. And then he's been delivering these sessions based on what he taught himself at a corporate level over the last few years and is now delivering these to, to traders and, and investment professionals. And, and he's created a product he actually calls Mind Fitness. So may, maybe you want to just sort of respond to what Mark said there. No, no, of course, much, much of that resonates with me. The, the idea of, uh, you know, you can't get rid of the 70,000 thoughts per day. You can't get rid of them, but you can turn, turn down the volume of them. You, you can actually turn, so it's managing your response to these thoughts and just, you know, understanding their thoughts and not lashing onto them and living with them is pretty much behind the uh, you know, sort of the mind fitness process. And 99% of the thoughts that you're, you're thinking about tend to be negative skewed and tend to be worrying you. So this affirmation, this positive affirmation procedure is vital in just getting this, uh, the right positive mindset to face things. Uh, and these, can, these things can be trained through um, certainly the mind fitness program that I run. Um, that's sort of delivered in a way that's uh, more geared up to military mind fitness, more geared up to perhaps what the uh, Serena Williams was using on the centre court yesterday when I was watching <laughs> her in uh, fabulous real time. You know, that grit, that mindset, that creates a bulletproofness in itself. You know, you will take bullets, yes, but they won't, hit, they won't hurt you. So it's learning to take those bullets, yeah? I mean, bulletproof doesn't mean bullets you know, are not hitting you. Bullets are going to be hitting you. It's a theater, the market is a theater of war, and you've got to gear up to, to weaponize the mind so it's working for you, uh, not against you. It can so much work against you if it's the wrong mindset because it, it drifts you off into the negative. It drifts you off into seeing opportunities rather than, sorry, seeing challenges rather than opportunities. Um, and the long-term impact on you, if you're not managing that, is you're so choked up with this emotion that it's dissolving any emotional intelligence you've got for a start, which is where your yes. edge is in the market. Your, es, your edge isn't in IQ, it's in EQ. And so this program of developing EQ through mind fitness about building a sort of a, 
but building a method of just dealing with it, whatever it is, right? And lots, lots of it's are coming at us, right? They could be personal, private, market, whatever. And you could be really, really bad at trading today because something personal happened last night and you didn't manage it. Okay, exactly. so you could, you know, so you, you might not have slept well, you might be dehydrated. All these things add up together to be what is optimal and what is bulletproof. Uh, and they can be taught. It's a, it's a method of approaching life in the market in a particular way. And it's not difficult, but it gets to be, needs to be taught in the most authentic way that, that's possible. And of course, that's something that Steve and I are working on with the uh, alpha-mind.net, uh, which, which gives you a summary of our <laughs> <laughs> we have put a sales pitch in ourselves so, <laughs> of what, what we do. But I mean, I hope that gives you a bit of an answer. It ties into what you're doing there. But I mean, I, it's critical. I would not have survived nearly 40 years in markets, particularly going through the crashes and flashes and God knows what of, of being at the forefront of futures, including pit trading. I would not have got through that lot if I hadn't been managing myself. Mm. No, I absolutely love that. And I love the term that you used, the kind of that military grade type mindset and using it yeah. as a weapon. Yeah. Because I, I think it's so important that we don't, life doesn't get easier, we get stronger. There's an old quote there, right? And that's yeah. the same thing. You're going you're gonna to learn how to take a bullet regardless. It's just that rather than you wishing it was easier, just find ways to manage it and get stronger and deal with it. Absolutely. I, I'm really fascinated about what you're yeah. working on there. I love that. Yeah, and you see it, you'll see it at Wimbledon, tit centre court day after day for the next few days. You will see what that means. That ability to not dwell on the last bad shot, that ability to be focused. It was, mm. it, it was the different, and it's the difference. It may be a subtle difference, but that subtle difference of edge is the difference between losing money and making money. Well, do, do you know what? The, the, the form of mindfulness, I think you learned from the guys called the Levy Brothers, who actually delivered a mindfulness program, series of programs yeah, for the Pentagon, to, yeah. to for the Pentagon, and particularly to the US Special Forces. Yeah. And then there was this one of these years where lots of different special forces from different countries come together for war games. And the US Special Forces completely outperformed everyone else, including their previous levels of performance, mm -hmm. because they'd been through these programs and they saw opportunities where no one else saw them. But it's not just about becoming bulletproof it's about becoming like you said stronger but it was the soft stuff that was coming through as well when, when they developed this program for the military they thought yeah it's going to be around the ego and managing that and turning up and showing up if you, you have the capability of starting world war three yeah. about behaving properly but what also came out of it was and they didn't expect it was that troops were becoming more creative in their solutions around warfare they didn't expect that they also didn't expect to be hearing from the children of the troops thanking the pentagon for bringing their dad home at night, because normally their dad would come, would be coming home or coming back from physically home, but mentally absent. Precisely. Yeah. So they were getting their dad mentally back, and the children were benefiting as, as too. So family life was getting better. And of course, if that's better, that kind of helps in your performance in these roles. So they saw huge benefit from this program, and I was uh, quite privileged to to spend a, a day with the uh, with the Levy's uh, husband and wife. Would you believe? Yeah. Uh, from right. California, <laughs> yeah. um, that uh, that were funded by the Pentagon to create this program for for the special forces called Ultimate Warrior, um, which they turned into Jedi Warrior with two Ultimate two light sabers crossing. That's, that's it, it fits in, but you know it's peak performance. There you are, Mark, Ultimate Trader, a new line for you. There you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll take that one. <laughs> no, I, I, I actually love that, and it's amazing to be changing people's lives the way you're doing it. Yeah. Listen, yeah. I, I'm yeah. conscious of the time. Do, do you have any sort of final points you want to make, Mark? Uh, I, I would say that uh, the most important thing like I always say to, and just to finish it off, what I always say to my you know, students and things like that is you, you really want to remove your ego out of the market as much as possible. And there's a line that I always say is humble yourself or the markets will do it for you. And I want I want a lot of listeners to think about that, right? Because it doesn't matter how cocky you can get in the market, the market will humble you in seconds. And that could be with a flash crash, slippage, it could be a lots of number of things. So learn to humble yourself and it will serve you longer term. Brilliant. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, listen, it really appreciate having you on, Mark. Fantastic insights. And uh, I know you're doing some great work around there. Yeah, we've enjoyed that. That was a good yeah. chat. Good yeah. chat, wasn't it? Lots of value. Yeah, I really... Really appreciate you having me on the podcast. Honestly, it was incredible to 
you know, share the discussions with you and hear your points of view. I think the listeners are going to take tons of value from this. Brilliant. Wonderful. Good luck with everything. Yeah, all the very best and good luck with Falcon. Thank you so much to Mark Hutchinson. That was an excellent interview, some fantastic insights. I'm sure you enjoyed it and I'm sure that left you with many questions. Uh, so on behalf of myself and my co-host Mark Randall, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Alpha Man podcast, please go onto iTunes and rate us. Leave us a favourable review if you can. We'd really appreciate that. Please feel free to listen to many of the other outstanding podcasts in this series. We also have some great interview guests lined up for future episodes. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss those. Um, also, you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter. My, my page is at AlphaMind101. And Mark's page is at the mind guys you can also join our linkedin group we have a, a vibrant linkedin group with over 15,000 members it's called the alpha mind linkedin group please feel free to connect to me on linkedin if you're interested to know anything more about the work myself and mark randall do whether it's possibly running a workshop for your firm or or, or, or your company or whether you're interested in some of the coaching work we do please email me stephen.goldstein at alpharcube.com or email me info at alpharcube.com or you could contact us through any of our social media uh, connections. Thank you very much once again. Bye-bye.